Today we are in uh, Acts chapter 13 as we return back to the book of Acts. And before we get to the text, I, I have a, a confession that I need to make. And that is, there was a time in my life where I was very confused about what a missionary is. I was very confused about the work and the, the role and the purpose and the ministry of missionaries. In my mind, missionaries were a lesser minister of the gospel. They were kind of like the, the practice squad. It, it, the way that I kind of thought about it is, you know, the, the pastor of the, of the church, he is the, he's the superstar Christian. He's the one that, that has it all together, <laughs> and he's the one that... He's the one that knows it all, and, and he's the one that, you know, can, 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 can sing and, and can do everything. And I knew my past, and I didn't consider myself very smart. I wasn't a good student. And I just didn't think that with the past that I had and the upbringing that I had and the things that I had done before I came to Christ that God would ever use me to be a pastor. So I guess I could be a missionary. And as the Lord was at work in my life, and I began to serve in the church and, and begin to, to teach and to preach, and as opportunities uh, in our little church would arise and in little neighboring churches, uh, people would always come and say, Is God calling you to be a pastor? And I'd say, No, 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 no. I'm not going to be a pastor. But I can be a missionary. And in my mind and, and in my heart and in my uh, poor understanding, my thought was is that missionaries are the B squad. You know, at seminary we had a saying that those who can't preach teach. The professors. <laughs> but in my mind, as I was young, it was that missionaries, they're... They're the ones that just can't quite make it as a pastor for some reason. And I don't know, maybe that's just me, or maybe you've thought that as well, but today as we look at this text, we look at the first, what we might call today, international missionaries, or as the church has called it in the past, foreign missionaries. Those who God calls to a work in a faraway field amongst a very different people in a very different place. And today, in this passage, we see the, the first um, formal issuance and commission call of men to go and to do that work, to be missionaries. And, and what I want, if I can get nothing else in your mind today, is this, is that, that missionaries are not the B-squad of the church. Missionaries, men who are called by God and sent out to these hard and dark places, they're not the B-squad, they're the special forces. They're the special forces of the church. And many times they're our best and our brightest and our bravest and our most dedicated are the ones that God calls and the ones that we're called to give up and to send out that they might go to places far and wide to proclaim the gospel where it has not yet been named. That's what missionaries. So this morning, I want us to look at this text, and I want us to see this 
historical event of the first missionaries and, and, and what it says about the first place that they go. But I also want to present this in such a way that it, I believe it's a pattern and a model for what missionaries are today and, and what missionaries do today. And you say, well, Pastor, why are you telling us this? Well, I'm telling, you this, telling us this because it's also a pattern for all that would be called to ministry. But more specifically, I'm telling you this because we're all called to participate in missions, whether it's here or it's far away. And when it comes to those that are far away, we're called to hold the rope and to support. And we're going to see the interaction that the church has in international or foreign or far away, different cross, cross-cultural, whatever you want to call it, missions. We'll see the role and responsibility that the church plays in it. And lastly is this, amongst our young people and even some of our adults, I know that there is a burden and a desire and that God is working in hearts and placing people from different places and placing a burden of those who do not know the gospel, the places where the Christ has not been named, and a great burden is upon many, even within this church. And so I want to share with us, parents, it may be a dangerous message, but the ministry and mission of missionaries in the church. Look with me, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manania, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. And they sent them off. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, where they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had, they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a false prophet named Bargesus. He was, the pro, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Full of deceit and villainy, you will not stop making crooked. The, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, in the midst and in, in the in, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And when the people and 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 he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. And when he saw all that occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Again, here we have, for the first time, a commission by the Holy Spirit, a, a, a dual commission where the Holy Spirit places a call upon individuals that they would be sent out to a faraway place, to a different culture that is also confirmed by the church, and they are sent then by this church at Antioch. 
And, and so what we see here is, is really what, what most regard as the first missionaries of the church. Now, we've seen through the book of Acts that as Jesus said that the gospel will be uh, proclaimed in Jerusalem, it will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. We, we've seen that progression, haven't we? As we've looked through this gospel, we've seen the ministry of the word of the God in, in Jerusalem. And then we've seen the scattering of the early disciples in Jerusalem as they're spread out under persecution. And, and, and we see them going into different places in Judea and even into Samaria. The half-breeds. The people who the Jews hated. And then we've seen with Cornelius... The gospel work amongst the Gentiles, amongst God-fearing Gentiles. And, and then we've seen with the church that's planted in Antioch, God working amongst Gentiles that didn't even have a, a background of the church. And so we, we see this ongoing expansion of the kingdom of God and, and the gospel of God, of Jesus Christ, as he goes out and he preaches first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And that's going to fulfill the, the rest of the book of Acts and even into today as the gospel continues to spread until that great and glorious day when we read that before the throne of God will be gathered those from every tongue, tribe, and nation. The gospel is for all. And our job as Christians, as believers, is to keep sending that gospel message forward. The same gospel message that came to us came that we might send and give and pray and work and go that others would hear the life-giving message of salvation in Jesus Christ and salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And so here we have what's known often as Paul's first missionary journey. Um, your Bible, particularly if you have a study Bible, you probably have a, a map that will show the, the route, roughly a thousand miles that, that Paul and Barnabas take. Um, they begin with with Mark, but he falls away and doesn't finish out the journey. But you'll see uh, that first journey. And Paul takes three missionary journeys within his life that we see. This is the shortest one, but it is no less full of perils and danger than the others. And so this morning, as we think about this text and we think about missionaries as the special forces of the church, I want us to think about their ministry and our role and responsibility and participation. As we look through this text. And so I've got a number of points here. The first is this. The first thing that we see in this text is a missionary's preparation. A missionary's preparation. Now what you need to know about these men that are called is, is they didn't just that day receive Christ. They didn't just that day decide that they were going to be missionaries. No, these men were men who had great experience. We read about Barnabas early in Acts. Barnabas was one of the early believers. Barnabas takes all the land that he had owned and he presents it before the apostles that they might use it for the work of the ministry. He's already sold everything he has for the gospel to go forward. Barnabas is the one when Paul, when Saul becomes Paul, when Paul gets saved, Barnabas is the one that goes and gets Paul because the, the apostles are afraid of him. He goes and gets him, knows of his conversion, and brings them personally before them 
as a changed man, a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul, of course, when we read of his life, we know that after his amazing conversion on the Damascus Road, he spent three years there preaching and teaching and learning associated with the church and the ministry that was coming out of Damascus there in Arabia. He spent three years confounding the Jews, it says, in their synagogues as he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was no stranger to the work of ministry. He was no stranger to the study of the things of God. Paul and Barnabas together then go in Acts chapter 12, and they go and they start this church at Antioch, this great missionary-sending church that we'll see throughout the, the book of Acts that is the hub of missionary activity uh, amongst the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas go and do that. Even John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas and was associated with the work at Antioch and accompanied them as far as Perga. It's evident, if we think about this, the first missionaries and all missionaries and all ministers of the gospel, all who are called with this special call of vocational ministry before the church, they're not, as Paul will write later, to be new converts. And they are not those to whom the, the idea and thought of such service would be shocking to you. These are, are men who have the call of God and they serve first where they are as God continues to build a burden for where they must go. And so I, I say this for two things. First, if God is, you feel the call of God upon your life, that he may be calling you as a pastor or as a missionary or as a deacon, the way that, that you act on that call is you begin to serve. You begin to be plugged in. At seminary, I met a number of men who were at seminary who felt that they were called to pastor churches and they didn't even go to church on Sunday. Sounds shocking. But it wasn't, it, it wasn't that difficult to find men week after week after week, Sunday morning in the dorms, playing games, hanging out, not being a part of a local congregation. And yet they want to serve the church. It's, it's often that we see individuals who have a, a salvation experience or a radical salvation experience or, or they just have this burden all of a sudden and they think, I'm ready to teach. I'm ready to be a pastor. And they want you to quickly lay hands upon them and send them off or, or let them loose within a congregation. Even within this church, I've made some kind of upset because I've said, let's wait and let's see. Begin to serve in these areas. Oh, that's beneath me. Friends, if it's beneath you, you're not called to ministry. You're not called. I've used a plunger in just about all of these toilets at one time or another over the last seven years. Because sometimes that's what it takes to serve the church of God. It's what it takes to serve his people. And Elwin wasn't here. <laughs> but really, so often I see individuals who get this idea that ministry is a, a great and a wonderful and an easy job. And they think, well, I'm called to that. 
Let me loose. And so often, churches will not affirm them. Ministers will not train them because they do not show the personal discipline necessary and needed. They will not take the time to study and learn. They want to go right away and, and have the keys to the car handed to them first day out. And so often they'll go and they'll start their own ministries. You see this. Friends, what I want you to see here is those that are called are the ones who God has already prepared. It's, it's no shock. When it talks about deacons in the Bible, it says to call out those who are already serving. It should be pretty easy to identify who should be a deacon. Oh, yeah, they already are willing to do things. No individual in the service of the church is going to be appointed a title and be good at it all of a sudden when they've never done it before. Jesus himself, the way he trained his disciples, he first sent them out two by two. He first showed them what to do. Then he let them do a little bit of their own. And he'd come back, oh, we can't cast this one out, I don't know, right? And he'd say, well, he'd teach. Some can only be cast out by prayer. He would teach and he would show. And eventually, what did he do? He sent them out. So friends, if God is calling you, if you feel the call of God on you for such a thing, if a man or a woman comes here and says that God is calling them to that, then then. We want to support that, but we also don't want to ignore everything and anything and be so excited that we just say, okay, here's the keys, run. It takes discipline and perseverance and mentorship and discipling. And that's what we see. First, uh, we first see here that there is a preparation. You know, we always used to ask, why seminary three years? And the professors would just say, because Paul spent three years. So we did it. <laughs> and some of us kept going. But it takes discipline. And especially for missionaries. The idea so often is, well, missionaries, they don't need to know theology like pastors do. Let me tell you something. They are going to the darkest Places of spiritual oppression and power, and they need theology more than I do. Right? You guys will come up with some weird stuff sometimes, but I've never in this church had anyone come up to me and say, Pastor, I have two wives. Now I'm a Christian. What do I do? Right? Because we all basically have the same kind of culture. And so the silly thought they need as much preparation as possible the task that they're set to. Okay, so a missionary's preparation. The second thing that we see here is a missionary's passion. A missionary's passion. Look at, look at verse uh, 1 and 2 here. Now they were at the church of Antioch and the prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Talk about having some friends, right? <laughs> he was the friend of Herod the Tetrarch. <laughs> And he's a leader of the church here in Antioch. What, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, stop right there. A missionary's passion, first and foremost, has to be for Jesus Christ. It has to be for a, a relationship with God. They have to have a, a spiritual burden and a spiritual fire and a spiritual consistency and a spiritual walk if they're going to endure in dark places. Not only... Does a missionary have to have a passion to have a personal relationship with Christ and a, a desire to study and to know the word of God? 
But a missionary has to be willing to give up comforts and familiarities that they would go and be a servant of God amongst the different people. Again, we see uh, Barnabas here. He sold all of his possessions previously, laying them at the feet of the apostles back in Acts chapter 4. Paul gave up a very, uh, very prestigious um, background. His father was of some note as a, as a, as a Roman. He was trained under the best um, Jewish teacher, Gamiel. He, he may have even, we're not sure, he may have even been a part, a member of the Sanhedrin. If he wasn't a member of the Sanhedrin, he was at least associated uh, very, very closely with the members of the Sanhedrin there where Stephen is stoned. And so he was well-known and well-regarded, very zealous. You remember his reputation preceded him as he was coming to Damascus to imprison and lead the believers there at the small church to, to back that they might be tried in Jerusalem by the Sanhedrin. He was very much on the path to greatness. And yet, for the sake of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he left it all behind. Friends, to go and to be a missionary requires an ability and a passion for Jesus Christ so that nothing else in this world, nothing, no other comfort, no other familiarity, means as much as the call of God upon the life that they might go and reach people for the gospel, that they might follow wherever God would lead, even if it means giving up their very own life for the sake of the gospel in these dark and dangerous places. That's the men that God desire. He needs men who are willing to endure persecution for his sake. He needs those who are willing to put their hand to the plow and not look back. The ministry of missionaries requires a red-hot passion for God. As God will call these individuals into service in very difficult, very dangerous, and very hard places often. They're the special forces of the church. Next we see a missionary's profession. A missionary's profession. Look at, at verse 2 again. The Holy Spirit said, set me apart for Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Who makes a gospel minister a gospel minister? Well, it's not the gospel minister. And it's not even the church. The church confirms the call. We'll see that. But the call upon an individual that's a true gospel minister, whether it be in a, a local congregation, whether it be in what we might call home missions, or whether it is foreign missions far away to, to leave the familiarities of home and mother and father and to go to another land, that call is a divine call that's placed upon the individual by the Holy Spirit himself. It is an unescapable call. Most ministers that I know tried to run from it. I tried to run from it. I still remember when I went and I told my family 
that I think God's calling me to be a missionary, but I can't quite be a pastor. And they looked at me and said, why would you want to waste your life with that? Because they didn't understand. But I knew that God had called me to it. But at the same time, I, I, I let people get to me. And I, I let Satan get to me. And, and you're not good enough. You know the things that you've done. Is your life really good enough? Could you go and do that? Would you really do that? And so I tried to run from it. And I had one of the most miserable years of my life after I graduated high school. I just did. I was just torn. I didn't know what to do. Everything seemed pointless. The only joy that I found was this little tiny church of about eight people, average age of probably 102. <laughs> and they would let this foolish 18, 19 year old get up every Sunday and preach to them. And thank Jesus those sermons aren't recorded. <laughs> I feel bad for young preachers today. Everything's online. But I still remember that was the only thing that gave me passion and joy. And so I began to pursue that because I tried first to run from it. You know, there was wisdom that was given to me, and it's common wisdom for those that are going into ministry, and it's this. If you can do anything else and be happy, do it. You can be happy doing anything else, do it. And Crystal will tell you, in, in, in our life, we've I've had struggles and I've had seasons. We had a season in Tennessee where, where I started to plant a church and it didn't happen. And at the same time, to, to be able to plant the church, I was working bivocational. Uh, I, I was a, a, a competitive intelligence analyst, Ooh, right? Basically, you ask people to tell you things they shouldn't tell you and then you write a report about it, okay? Um, it's kind of like tattling, but you get paid. Um, and I was good at it. I was so good at it that there came a point where I was offered a partnership in the company. And it was lucrative. It would have been very, very good. And I remember debating about it, and I remember Krista telling me, you can take that and you'll never be happy. Because she knew that God had placed this call upon me. Amen. I must <laughs> preach the gospel. And that is the call that God places upon those who are willing to give up lands, who are willing to go to different places, who are willing to leave their grandmother in Kansas City because God's called them to Florida. My call's easier than those who go further, believe me. But it's still a call. It's a call that comes from God. And it must call, come from God because a man alone cannot build the church of God. A man alone cannot do the work of the Spirit. Here it is the Spirit of God that calls a man to go and to proclaim the gospel, to go to different places that he might have success. And it takes the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ himself said, I will build my church. Not Bob will build his church. Paul knew this, the very one that sent out church begins to argue over who the greatest preachers are, who they're going to follow, who baptized who. And Paul writes and says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the harvest because it was a work that was done by his spirit. So vocational ministry is a profession that God calls you to. Uh, look at at ministry's position. So, so the profession is by God, but the position is appointed and confirmed by the church. Look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, laid their, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. 
while God uh, called Paul and Barnabas to the profession of vocational ministry, it was also confirmed by and within a local church, and this is the way that the church is supposed to function within sending out those for the gospel. The headquarters for ministry and missions for Southern Baptists is not in Richmond where IMB is. The headquarter and ministry for Southern Baptists and missions is in a local body like this one. Now we pull together and have incredible resources that we can do that, but, but missions is not the function, and we need to hear this today, missions is not the function of a nonprofit organization. Missions is, is not the function of a society or a group, but missions is a function of the local church and the ministry and extension of that local church as they recognize men and women to whom God has placed the call upon. They disciple, lead up, and send out those people. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. Not only do they lay hands on them and commission them to go in these places, but at the end of this trip, guess where the missionaries go back? Antioch. And they give a report. And then when the second missionary trip begins, they lay hands on them and they send them out and they come back and they report back to the local church. We have a responsibility. And as Southern Baptists, and I love Southern Baptists, but in Southern Baptists, we need to rethink how we do missions in a lot of ways. And, and the IMB is on board with this. They're trying to do this. Because the way we used to think about missions is, is you know, Susie would get called and, and she'd go and serve as a journeyman and then she would go to be a career missionary. And, and bye, Susie. We love you. We'll be praying for you. And 10 years later, the pastor's changed. Much of the congregation has changed. Nobody really even remembers Susie anymore because Susie belongs to headquarters who then manages and sees what Susie does. And that's not the way that missions looks like in the Gospels. What it looks like and the way that it should look like and was designed to look like and we are working to make it look like is that Susie comes up, the church calls Susie out, and now we even have programs that the local church, the, the local church where Susie came out, if they want to, can be a part of the decisions that the directors make for Susie's ministry as she serves overseas. And that's beautiful and that's the way that it should be. We don't just... Raise them up, send them out, and say, there you go. But they're an extension of us. Uh, missionaries are an extension of the local churches. Paul goes out and baptizes. As they go out and do, they're not mavericks apart from any kind of a church. They are an extension of that local church that called them, that sent them, and supports them as that church's ministry then begins to establish believers and churches in different places throughout the world. That's the way that missions and so because of that, who we ordain, who we send out, how we send out is of great importance. It was of great importance to them. We see in verse 2, they were fasting and praying, and God called out Paul and Barnabas. And then before they lay hands on them, what are they doing again? Fasting and praying. They took it very, very seriously. We too today should take it just as seriously. The church didn't invent the call upon their life, but the church has a responsibility to equip, encourage, and mobilize those upon who God places a call. 
Look at the missionary's plan. Begin looking at verse 4 here. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist him. When they had gone through the whole island, they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. I love being around missionaries. I, I love spending time with missionaries. I love going and being on the field with missionaries. And when missionaries come back, to, to go out to lunch and to talk with them and to hear about their ministry. I, I love it because they are so focused and so strategic and so godly. And they have to be in the work that they do because they're facing spiritual darkness. This is the special forces unit of the church. And so it's amazing to hear and, and to hear how they strategically look for a people group and how they go and how they reach them and, and the things that they do. I, my own time, and I didn't spend long as a missionary. I spent four months in China in 2000. But even then, we, we were smuggling Bibles into villages and, and, and we were doing everything that we could to get the Word of God distributed so that others could follow us with Asian faces that spoke the language and could explain the, the gospel to them. But you see, the reason that they used us 20-year-olds from America to bring the Bibles in is because if we got caught with a backpack full of Bibles, they'd smack our hand and it worse send us home. But if the Taiwanese believers that came to share the gospel with them were carrying Bibles, they'd put them in prison. See that strategy? See what they're thinking? How they're trying to use limited resources to take on darkness? They're the special forces of the church, aren't they? And so I love that. So here we see the, the plans. Here we see how, they, how they're given a call. They're given an objective and, and how they seek to execute that. It says here that first they, they go down the mountain from Antioch to Seleucia to the port. Great big seaport, huge stones. You can still see it today. Luke doesn't tell us much about their voyage, but I'm sure it was full of, of interesting stories and adventure. And then they get to Cyprus, <coughs> they land on one corner, and they go 142 miles against very rocky, steep, craggly terrain, preaching amongst the synagogues and preaching in various places as they go. I, I wish Luke would just like give us a chapter of that, right? But here they are. They're accomplishing their mission. Now, the island of Cyprus made good sense for them to go to. Barnabas was from there. He had connections. Of course, he probably had a burden for his people that, that didn't know the gospel there on the island. Of course, it was the next, uh, it was the next major center next to Antioch there in the sea next to it. It would have been a natural attraction for many people because it was an epicenter of business. There was a strong copper trade and mining there on the island. And so it would have been uh, full of men traveling to, to do business as well as those who were coming to work in the mines. But most of all, I think Barnabas and Paul were attracted to Cyprus because of the great darkness that was there. Cyprus was known as the, the playground of the gods. Cyprus was the place where they believed that Aphrodite, the goddess of love, washed up upon the sea in a seashell and then came upon. And so there in Cyprus was a great temple to the goddess of love. And I will let you use your imaginations as to what kind of worship took place there in that wicked city. It was a place full of darkness, full of debauchery, and devoid of the gospel. Paul 
we read, throughout his ministry had a desire to take the gospel to the strongholds of wickedness, to the, to the immoral places, to the darkest places, to the places where Jesus Christ had not been named and where he needed to be named. And friends, that, I don't know if you know that, but that still exists today. In 2000, when I went to China, what shocked me as a, as a, as a, a 20-year-old American studying for ministry is I didn't realize that the kind of missions that you read about in the biographies of the 18th century still exist, where you go up mountains with nothing but your feet, and there's no electricity, and, and there's no technology, and, and you go to people who live in huts that worship primitive gods. That one village we went to were headhunters. And the spiritual darkness and ancestor worship and worship of idols is, is all before you. And they've never heard the name or message of Jesus Christ. Those places still exist today. There are thousands of people groups with no believers in them. There are millions of people who are dying and going to hell because the gospel of Jesus Christ has not yet come and penetrated that darkness. They do not have the word of God in a language that they can understand. And no man or woman of God has come to them yet to tell them about Jesus Christ. Those places still exist. And it is our job, church, to raise up, send out, and mobilize and Pray for and partner with the gospel as it goes to those places. I love our international mission board. One of the things I love about our international board is, mission board is quite a few years ago, there was a major restructuring. And, and you may have heard of this. Some people were kind of upset about it. Uh, but I believe it was a necessary restructuring, and it was this. We had established a lot of missions and ministries in places where there were healthy churches. And so, like, we owned bookstores. Now, those are great ministries. But we came back, and we focused, and we said, what should we be doing with the monies and the time and the effort and the people that God gives to us? And we came back and said, we want to reach the lostest of the lost for Jesus Christ. We want to go where the gospel has not been proclaimed. And we refocused the International Mission Board to focus on the places of darkness, the strongholds of darkness, the governments where they won't let missionaries come in that we might take the gospel to those dark places and let churches and other places that are prospering run bookstores. So I want to tell you, I, I'm passionate about our IMB. I'm passionate about telling you to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you haven't done that, do that. Because what they do is incredible. And the focus and the productivity is amazing. A missionary's provocation a missionary's provocation. Not only do missionaries go to difficult places, but they engage in difficult ministry. They are the special forces of the church taking on spiritual strongholds and darkness. These two missionaries go and they, they, they come there and they, they, they begin to, to have counsel with the proconsul. That's, that's kind of like the leader of Rome over the island, a big guy like the governor of the whole island, you might say. And, and, and so they come and they, they begin to uh, to reach him and tell him about the gospel. And then 
evil happens. Then this, this false teacher, this wicked man, this one who would take and, and try to take the very words of the Holy Spirit that are going to the pro-council and, and turn them away from him, that instead of trusting in Jesus, he would deny Jesus. And Paul hears this, and the Spirit leads him, and he confronts him boldly. Listen, listen to this. It says that <clears throat> there came upon them a certain magician, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, also called Amias, Verse 8, he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, there's some interesting things about this man before you see what Paul says. Think about this. First, he was a Jew. He must have had some early religious training. He knew about the word of God. He deliberately turned against it. He was a false prophet saying that he was speaking for God when he knew that he wasn't. He, he declared a prophecy that was devoid of spiritual insight. He was a sorcerer which was forbidden by a Jew. So he not only tried to say that he could say the things of God, but he would say he would say the things of God and then produce magic tricks so people would think that he was a true prophet when he was an actual false prophet. And it says that he was able to deceive multitudes by this. This is an evil dude. This is a bad guy. This is an enemy of the gospel. This is one who will lead others to hell. Paul looks at him, verse 9, and says, Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. You can just see this happening, don't you? His eyes just cutting through him. You son of the devil. <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead by the hand. This magician's name was Bar-Jesus. It meant son of the Savior. And Paul says, you're the son of the devil. This blind leader of the blind was literally made blind for a season. You know, Satan works in similar ways today. Missionaries, as they're sent out, they meet witch doctors, the medicine man, the heathen priests, new age spiritualists. All of these individuals who by wickedness deceive and oppose the gospel. These kinds of miracles are not unheard of on the mission field. When I was in China, we were in one city and there was a, there was a local leader, a local uh, from the tribe, a, a tribal leader, a medicine man, kind of, you know, which kind of the head like that. And he was going around and he was telling people, don't listen to them, don't listen to them, don't listen to them. And we one night got together and the missionary led us and said, we're going to pray that God would shut his mouth. We're going to pray that God would shut his mouth. And we prayed. We prayed boldly that God would shut the mouth of this man, that the gospel might be proclaimed. Very much similar to what we see here. And the next day, the man had to go home because he was sick. He was throwing up uncontrollably. And he went home. And the most amazing thing happened that day. People flocked to us. As the missionary would tell him, we have a book from our God and we want you to have it. He loves you. And he sent, he sent us here from America to tell you about his love and about his son. And, and, and the engagement of, of people. And I don't know what happened. Again, we, our team was followed up by a Taiwanese team. And, and I don't know. I hope they went back to that same town. But 
The power of God works like that. And our missionaries are special forces that need to engage darkness with spiritual power and force like that. Last, and I, I know I'm going long. I, I hope that it feels like 15 minutes, not 50 minutes, but a missionary's progress. A missionary's progress. We're told not of all of the results, but we're told here that as they uh, go to this place at the other end, verse 13, that the proconsul believed, and when he saw what occurred, and he was astonished after the teaching. After that, we're told that as they preach further and go on, that, that many of the Jews and the Gentiles believe. And verse 13, verse 49, I love these verses in Acts. You'll see it all over. The word of the Lord was spread. The word of the Lord grew. The testimony of the Lord grew. The word grew. The knowledge of Jesus Christ and belief in the gospel grew as men called by God presented the word of God. The spirit of God was at work at that place. And when the Spirit of God is at work in a place and in a person, you might as well stand and try to tell the sun to go back down in the morning because you can't stop it. What an amazing thing it is to be called by God, to be used by Him. Whatever opposition, however subtle the forces that would resist us, we preach the gospel with assurance knowing that it is that God that called us, a church of God that confirmed it and supports us, and, and, and that no matter what happens, the promises of God are for us. The ministry, the message of Christ's forgiveness and salvation that was proclaimed that day is, is still the message that we proclaim today. I, I didn't talk about that. That's next week's sermon is the message of missionaries. As we see that the gospel that they proclaim is still the message that we proclaim today. That your sin has separated you from God. And, and, and though you are hopeless in your own efforts, God sent Christ. That if you would trust in him and what he has done for you and his salvation made possible on the cross by his blood, that you will be saved no matter what you've done. He will redeem you. He will restore you. He will save you for all eternity. Do you know that message? Maybe I'm your missionary today. Sent here today to tell you of that message. And, and you've heard it before, but you're ready today, seeing the power of the Spirit and the work of God. As we conclude here today, I want to make a few applications. Please stay with me, okay? Let's, let's drive it home and make some personal applications here. First, I, I, want to, I want to help you respond to this message. If you've not trusted in Christ, would you do so today? Don't allow the false teachers of this world, don't allow uh, the, the false teachers that, that you have had influence to, the, the, the voices and, and, and the, the, the poor excuses and ideologies of this world, the wisdom of this world, don't allow those things to hold you back from Christ. But today, come and place your faith in him. At this moment, at this time, call out and say, save me. I'm a sinner. I want For all of us here, I pray that this message would renew our commitment to hold the line for those whom we've sent out. For those who, this very day, are the special forces units out on the field engaging in darkness. 
They need us to hold the line. They need us to support them in prayer. They need us to, to give that they might be able to do the work of the ministry where we're not at, that the gospel could go on. They're the ones that have left family and familiarity and home to go and to, to serve amongst a different people and learned a different culture and, and studied and, and went out there and are facing darkness and hard times and, and sickness and persecution and hardship because of the sake of the gospel. We've got to hold the line. Let us pray for our missionaries. Let us assist them as we can and let us participate in the work. And lastly, how does this message hit you personally? Perhaps today as we close, you would want to come for prayer. Perhaps you want to come and say, I, I feel that God is placing this call upon my heart and I want to go. And I don't know what that means, but church, pray for me, help me. I have a burden that God has put in my heart that, that people are going to hell and they don't know Jesus and I want to go share it with them. Maybe that's you today and you want to come forward and, and, and receive prayer and, and, and commit to that calling. Let's do that and, and I can help you find a way and find a path that, that we can begin to, to train and, and get exposure and see that you can, can work out where it is that God might send you. Don't be like me. Don't think that the missionaries are the B squad. They're the A team. They're the special forces of the church. We need to raise them up, send them out, and hold the line. Pray with me. Father.